This is the word of our Lord. Morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us through it. And we pray, Lord, as we hear you speak to us this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we'll respond in obedience to your word, for your praise and for your glory. Amen. Do you believe in prayer? Do you believe that when you pray, things happen? Do you believe that prayer makes a difference? Do you believe in prayer? As we've seen so far in this series, as we thought about prayer, prayer isn't about a long list of our needs that we take to God who is some sort of penny bandit in the sky that will give us everything that we hope for and wish for. Prayer is a privilege that we have as Christians. It's a privilege that we have to go before the God of the universe and speak to him. He hears the prayers of his people and he acts. Prayer is only possible because of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who came to this earth, who had to suffer and die on a cross so that it was possible for us sinful people to be able to approach the throne of grace. Prayer is such a privilege. It is a privilege that we have as God's people. And you start at the beginning of the scriptures and read all the way to the end and you'll see God's people praying. Ordinary people who trust in God pray to him. He is our heavenly father and he delights in hearing the prayers of his people. And so this morning as we continue this series in prayer, we consider this morning how we're to be earnest in prayer. The church in Acts 12 is in dark and difficult times. They're at the mercy of Herod Agrippa the grandson of the Herod from Matthew chapter 2 who wanted to kill all the two-year-old and under boys. And this Herod follows in the same vein, not necessarily on the mass scale that that Herod did. He's more strategic. He sort of goes after the key leaders in the church to try and dismantle it that way. And so he's had the Apostle James arrested and killed. And As he did that and saw the approval of the Jews, the Jewish people, the Jewish leaders, he then goes off to proceed to arrest Peter. The Christians are living in dark and dangerous days. James is dead and Peter, one of the other prominent apostles, has been arrested and faces the same fate as James. But what did the church do? What do the people of God do? Do they storm the gates of Herod? Do they storm the prison gates to try and free Peter? Do they start a mass protest to release Peter? 
What do the church do? Verse 5 of our, of our reading in chapter 12. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. What do the church do? They pray. The weapon they pick up is prayer. They prayed earnestly to God who had the power to release Peter. They prayed earnestly. They prayed consistently. They were persevering in prayer. They were eagerly praying to their Father in heaven. Even as we read in verse 12, praying all night. That's how earnest they were in praying for Peter. Herod exercises his authority in arresting Peter and intending to bring him out for trial and probably death. While the church is praying, appealing to a superior divine authority who is God the Father. In this situation, the church turns to prayer. That is their first port of call. They go to the Lord in prayer and they keep going to him in prayer. Billy Graham in one of his sermons said, A man is more powerful on his knees than behind the most powerful weapon that can be developed. Prayer is powerful. Great things happen when we pray, all because of who it is that we pray to. They prayed knowing that it was only God who could rescue Peter from prison. And so what happens when the church prays? Verse 6, the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. We read that and we see the impossible situation that Peter is in. There's four sets of guards guarding him, probably on a rotation. There is a long way to go. There's a big iron gate for him to get out of. He's chained to two prison guards. The situation looks impossible. And what's Peter doing? He's asleep. He's asleep. He knows that once the Passover ends, he'll be led out to trial and killed. Yet Peter is asleep. He's sound asleep. And we know that he's sound asleep because when the angel appears, the, the angel's got to prod him to wake him up. And if you've got teenage kids in your house, you'll know exactly what that feels like. Or if you've ever had teenage kids in your house, you've got to get them up. And that's what the angel is doing with Peter. He's sound asleep. How can he sleep? At a time like this when he knows that Herod wants to get rid of him. He's sound asleep because he trusted his father in heaven. He trusted the Lord's promises. No matter the situation that he found himself in, God was in control and he trusted God. He knew that God would act in whatever way he did to glorify his own name, to glorify God's name and, and advance the gospel. There's this calm, secure trust in the Lord that Peter has because he knows that God's hand is at work. Whether he can see that or not, 
God is at work and he is in control. And so Peter is at rest in that knowledge. And so Peter's rescued. And he says in verse 11, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything that the Jewish people were hoping would happen. Peter knew without a doubt that God was the one who was in control. So when we pray, we acknowledge that ultimately we are not in control. And we know that's true. A financial crisis comes along and all our savings that we've built up over the years quickly disappear. We've lived a healthy life. We've eaten the right foods. We've done the right exercise. And then all of a sudden, we're struck down with a life-changing illness. We know that we can't control, we're not in control uh, of things ultimately. But there is one who is in complete control of everything. God is that one. He is the sovereign Lord over all things, over all situations. His hand is at work whether we can see it or not. And we could read this passage and ask the question, well, why was Peter rescued and James was killed? Because we can assume that the church was praying for James as earnestly as they were for Peter. But why was Peter the one who was rescued from prison and James was the one who was killed? Was James less important? Were the prayers of the people not as earnest as they were for Peter? Well, of course that's not true. Of course James wasn't less important than Peter. But James's work on earth, the task that the Lord had set him, was complete. And so James was promoted to glory. For Peter, there was still gospel work for him to do. And so God releases him. Nothing would stop God's plan for Peter from happening. Not even Herod. God still had work for Peter to do. It reminds me of that verse in Philippians chapter 1. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Death is not loss. The prayers of the people for James didn't go unanswered. They were answered according to God's will and his plan. James's time and task was up on this earth. And so God answered the prayer by taking James to glory. We know that as Christians, we don't need to fear death. Because death is not loss, it is gain. In fact, Paul says in that letter that it is better to depart and be with Christ. Why? Because we will be with Christ. That is why it is better. But Paul also knew that the Lord hadn't finished with him. His task wasn't complete. And so he was to continue his gospel work on this earth. And so was the prayer of the church for James less effective 
Not at all. The Lord answered the people's prayers. Maybe not in the way that they expected, but the Lord answered by James being taken to glory. The Lord is at work. The Lord answers prayer whether we see it and understand it or not. The Lord's messengers come and go. And then they enter eternal glory. But the gospel continues to move on. We know that's true as we uh, move on a little bit in chapter 12 to verse 24. But the word of the Lord continued to spread and flourish. Prayer shows our dependence upon God. It shows that he is in control, that he is the sovereign Lord. He's working things out for his glory. We might not see his hand at work, but his powerful, all-controlling hand is at work, acting for our good and for his glory. So let us be earnest in prayer. So Peter's rescued, and then he goes straight to the house of Mary, and this is probably the base of where the Christians met um, at that point. And he's banging on the door, and he's calling out as they did um, at the time. And this servant girl, Rhoda, comes along and hears that it's Peter. And rather than going and answering the door and letting him in, she runs back into the house and says, Peter's here. And remember, the church has been praying for Peter to be released. And what do they say to Rhoda? You are out of your mind. They've been praying for this, and their response is, you're out of your mind, that cannot be Peter. Maybe uh, it's a messenger, maybe it's an angel, it, but it cannot be Peter. They've been praying, but do they really expect God to answer their prayer? Or maybe they come up with a plan in their own minds of how Peter might be released. I wonder if you've ever done that, you've been praying for someone for years and years and years to become a Christian. And someone then tells you, so-and-so has become a Christian. And your response is, no way. You can't believe that that person's become a Christian, even though you've been praying for that to happen for years and years. There is a sense that they don't quite believe that their prayer will be answered. And so they finally go and open the door. And it is Peter. And they're so happy about it that you can imagine all the cheers and everyone wanting to know what's happened, but it's the middle of the night. And so Peter quiets them down and tells them what happened. Their prayer is answered, but the prayers don't quite believe it. And I, I love verses like this because the Bible doesn't sugarcoat our Christian history. It doesn't sort of remove the, these awkward bits. It shows us the church for who it is they pray, yet they don't quite believe that God will answer their prayer. The prayer of the church was effective, but it was imperfect. Remember that prayer is about a relationship. 
And God is not bound by our imperfections. We may say things wrongly. We may say things without sufficient belief. But God loves to hear the prayers of his people. And he is well able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. And so Ephesians 3, 20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we, all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Prayer isn't effective based on our words or the depth of our faith. That doesn't make prayer effective. That's why the prosperity gospel, that so-called gospel of name it and claim it, is so damaging to people. Because they say you don't have because you don't believe. Your faith isn't enough. But prayer isn't effective because of us. Prayer is effective because of the one that we pray to. And so no matter our imperfections, remember that we're saved in Christ. We're adopted as children into his family. We have that awesome privilege of being able to call God our Father. And we have that certain hope of eternal life. And so God will answer, he will hear our prayers and answer them in a way that is good for his children and that glorifies his name. We are already in that relationship with God because of Jesus. And so for somebody to say, you don't have because your faith isn't enough, is so damaging to people. We know that we pray imperfectly but we pray nonetheless we pray earnestly to our father in heaven who delights to hear the prayers of his people Tim Keller said the greatness of prayer is nothing but an extension of the greatness and glory of God in our lives so let us pray earnestly let us be earnest in prayer. Let prayer be the first port of call for us in all situations. Let prayer be a priority in our lives as it was for those first Christians in Acts. Let us be earnest in prayer that God may be glorified. And so in the mission and ministry of Trinity here, let's be earnest in prayer. Praying for people to repent and believe in Jesus. Praying for people to find peace and forgiveness and hope in Jesus our Saviour and King. So at our next event, as we go around getting volunteers for all the different roles, let's also have a column of volunteers for people who are going to pray during that event. This Saturday as Messy Church bags go out, let's commit to praying on Saturday morning that people will pick up these bags, that they will use them and that they will hear about Jesus. The ministry and mission of us here at Trinity involves all of us because we can all pray. Let's pray earnestly as we've seen in our small group studies that people would hallow the name of the Lord, that people will bow down and worship our holy God. There's this story of 
Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, um, and one in the congregation at one of his services goes to him and says, why is your ministry here so successful? What is the key to it? And so after Spurgeon has preached, it's the end of the meeting, he takes this person downstairs into the hall underneath the main building. While Spurgeon is up preaching the gospel, there are hundreds of people in this hall underneath praying. They're weeping and petitioning to God as the gospel is proclaimed. That is the power behind the successful ministry of Spurgeon. And notice that prayer doesn't take the place of preaching. Prayer doesn't take the place of us having to do something. We proclaim the gospel. We serve and do ministry in Accrington. But the power comes from a people who pray. Prayer brings the power to what we do as a church, all for God's glory. I read this week as well an article about a Fulton Street prayer meeting, uh, which took place in the sort of second half of the 1800s in America. And it was the start of a great revival. And it began with a man and six other people praying. One lunchtime a week, they would gather to pray. Pray for the needs of the city, to pray for people to come to faith. And that grew to seeing thousands and thousands of people become Christians. Thousands and thousands of people gathering each lunchtime, praying for God to be at work. It's an amazing story. Search it up if you've got a spare half an hour and read that article about Fulton Street prayer meeting and be inspired by that story. Six people began in prayer and it grew to thousands and thousands, if not millions of people praying and becoming Christians. For all that we do, let us be earnest in prayer. Let prayer be a priority for us. Can I encourage you to join me on the 20th as We've already heard the notice for our morning of prayer and fasting. Join us for that. Let's make prayer a priority. Let's be earnest in prayer. Let's be earnest in prayer for all things. For, for ourselves, for problems in our relationships, for the way that we use our time and our finances, for sin in our lives, for godly fruit to be growing in our lives, for seeking to love our neighbours. Let prayer be the first thing that we do. Let's be earnest in prayer. And when we see God our Father answering prayer, He gets the glory. Not us, not for the ministry that we do or how well it's gone or for how well we've planned it. But God gets the glory because He is the one whose hand is at work. Let us be earnest in prayer, knowing we are imperfect, knowing that God is in control, 
knowing that he's the one who has power to answer our prayers for our good and for his glory. James 5 says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Let us be earnest in prayer. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for the amazing privilege that we have to come before you in prayer, to be able to address you as Father. Thank you for this account in Acts 12 of the earnestness of your praying people. Help us to follow their example and the example of many Christians throughout the centuries who have made prayer a priority. Encourage us to continue to do that in our lives and in the life of this church. Father, we thank you that you are sovereign king over all things, that you are in control. And thank you, you are the one who answers prayer for the good of your people and for your glory alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.